You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 134. Uh, look, obviously, you know, another heartbreaking Sunday. I've uh, now reached 0-14, uh, you know, on the brighter note, uh, getting closer and closer to the top overall pick in the 2018 NFL Draft. Getting closer and closer to two top five picks in the 2018 NFL draft. Uh, you know, you got to look at the bright side when things are 0 and 14. Uh, you know, yesterday, another interesting day. You know, the offensive play calling again leaves you scratching your head. Some things were working, they were abandoned to force other issues. That didn't work out. Again, we had the nice uh, two ply tissue soft coverage on defense, which seemed to be an issue all day long. Uh, we're going to break down the game here a little bit, get some Cleveland insight. We have Doug LeMaurice from Cleveland.com joining us here this evening. Uh, Doug, you're a family guy like me. How's everything going? You know, we're a week out from the big day. We are, yeah. So you got to squeeze everything in, man. It's hard when uh, it always seems to happen that the end of football season and Christmas fall at the same time. So somehow we've got to find a way to do it all, right? Uh, and that's the thing. Also, for me, though, and everybody's like, oh, you're such a Scrooge. But also, you know, my, my 9 to 5 is also the the end of the year period is always the most difficult for me. So it's like, look, there's a lot of balls in the air right now. And it's like, look, just get me just get me to the 24th. Somehow, some way, get me to the 24th. I love my wife to death. She does a fantastic job putting this all together. But we still got football to talk about. Yes. Always uh, football. Of course. Uh, the game yesterday, Doug, look, I, 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 we, we, we got to a point where we were expecting better showings, and it seems yesterday was an absolute snoozer. Uh, you know, Baltimore, I don't care what anybody says. It's the ugliest 8-6 and six team I've ever seen. I don't want to hear anything otherwise. But even still, 27-10, you expected to see a better showing yesterday. Yeah, I actually picked them to win. Um the Browns to win. I mean, it's one of those you keep looking for like, well, maybe this. I mean, and, and that's the thing that's weird about this season that they're 0 and 14, but yet, I mean, I don't I don't know that a lot of people just every Sunday said, well, they're a hundred percent losing today. I mean, you could have found a lot of different games, whether it was the Colts or the Packers or the Giants or the Lions or the Ravens. You think, oh, the Bengals, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. But they have they, the, the, I think the, one of the more frustrating things about this season is that it hasn't been on a path. They haven't slowly gotten better. I think you could argue their best performance of the year was week one against Pittsburgh. That was a moral victory. And there, now there have been these other games where you thought, okay, maybe by the end of the year, Deshaun Kaiser will have improved here. They will have shown some more offensive consistency there. And instead, they're, they're throwing out a game like Sunday where – you know, they were around for a little bit, but they really they really couldn't hang with the team, like you said, that might be a playoff team, but it's not a team filled with dynamic, you know, offensive threats that, that scare you. You would have thought maybe they could have hung around a little better. Yeah, and that was the thing that's uh, – I'm going to go with the defense side of it first, and that's the thing that's most discouraging. Um, the Browns went into yesterday with a better wide receiving core than Baltimore did. But now, I, Greg Williams, I thought he did a great job, probably till about the midway point of the season. And I know this was the game plan they were running, but now, I mean, they're giving up so much cushion, it, it's not working anymore, and nothing's being changed. What exactly is that about? I mean, you see five, six yards are, are, are right there on every snap. And this is just from watching the initial look of the gameplay. 
And it is. It's such a stark contrast. You watch the easy throws that Joe Flacco got to make in that game, easy third down throws. And, and I watched it and thought, well, how come Deshaun Kaiser doesn't have any of those? How come it never looks that easy for him? But it's because they, they are playing so off in coverage. And Greg Williams, you know, the couple days before, seemed to make it very clear that he feels like he has no choice but to do that because he does not trust um, this secondary to really get up on anybody and cover him. So I think it's frustrating when you see the corners off. We've seen, uh, you know, the Jabril Peppers in center field thing has been an ongoing issue all year. <laughs> Where in the and world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> and you see Joe Schobert, too. I mean, that's an, a, a thing that's popped up lately is their middle linebacker is so deep. For instance, when I think Joe Flacco had that quarterback draw for a touchdown and your middle linebacker is six yards deep in the end zone getting ready to cover something that never comes. And, and I understand you don't want to get beat deep, but whether you get beat on one 80-yard throw or 10 easy throws that equal 80 yards, you're giving up the same thing. And I think it, it, it does seem right now that they're giving up some of those things too easily with the short passing game. Yeah, we had Jake Burns on uh, last Monday. We were covering the Green Bay game, and he said it was you know basically the death of a 1,000 paper cuts. And yeah. here we are again, yet another week, and it's the same thing all over again. Um, and I know everybody's harping on the free safety but it, it, when I see the coverage that Greg Williams is putting out there every week, it tells me that Greg Williams has no confidence in his cornerbacks. So everyone's like, oh, well, if you get a high pick, you got to get a cornerback. you got to get a free safety. I, I, I don't think the free safety is going to change anything. I think it's essentially more the trust in a quarterback who can actually line up somebody, you know, nose to nose on the line of scrimmage. And, and I don't know. I don't know what the free agent class is. But that, to me, seems like one of those areas you could address that, too. With the cap room they have, um, that should be an area that, you know, they don't need a ton of guys on the defensive line. They have some good linebackers, but that to me, um, you know, maybe you don't take a cornerback high, but I think I think you do need to address that. Maybe you can do it in free agency. Maybe maybe there's other options, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it would seem to me maybe he could have a little more confidence than he does. Um but yeah, obviously, if if he's playing that way because he feels he has to, then something's got to change, and you've got to bring in a couple different guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, obviously Jason McCourty had he was a PFF darling through the first ten weeks. Obviously, then his hit hit his injury, you know, spell. Maybe he's not playing a hundred percent, but I mean, let, let's be honest, it's December now. Nobody is. So, but it just seems so odd when you see these cornerbacks so far off the ball, and you know, Greg Williams saying things like, "Well, you know, I'm not used to playing this much zone coverage." when last year he played that much zone coverage. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we'll get to that part, but there's a lot of, you know, talk coming out from, you know, coaches, front office people, um, the offensive side of the ball. Um, look, I'm a Deshaun Kaiser backer. Look, I have no problem drafting a quarterback at one or overall. I have no problem entertaining a quarterback in this free, this free agent class. You, you, you want to take a positional unit that is a weak one and turn it into a positive one. So, you know, you want to bring in, you want to sign one, you want to draft one, I'm fine with that. But Deshaun, it was a tough spot at Notre Dame. It's a tough spot now. Uh, Hugh constantly yo-yoing the way he thinks, you know, putting himself all out there in August. He's my guy. He's going to play. We'll all deal with the mistakes. He's a rookie. I know there's going to be mistakes. We'll deal with it because that's what you have to do. And then yesterday comes down to the point of, you know, oh, well, maybe he'll never get it. You know, for me, looking at Hugh, who's a, the head coach, 
but is in charge of the offense with an offensive background, isn't a lot of this on him? Why isn't nothing on him? Yeah, I mean, it's nuts. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it should be on him first. It starts with him for him to say, um, I didn't want to hire an offensive coordinator this year because I thought this offense might be bad and I didn't want a coordinator to get blamed. I wanted myself to get blamed if there was a problem. It's like, okay, then we'll blame you. But then when you try to blame Hugh, he acts like he acts like sometimes that he doesn't that he's not part of this team. When you hear him talk in the post game or during the week, sometimes it sounds like he's talking about a different team that he's not employed by. So I think it does start with him. And I wrote after the game yesterday, my column was that basically Deshaun Kaiser and Hugh Jackson have failed each other. And I think that's true because I think obviously Deshaun Kaiser has played very poorly. He has There's not, no way around that. He has not shown the progression that you would have wanted him to show. He's making week two, week three, week four mistakes in week 14. You, you have to put that on him. But Hugh Jackson has done no favors for Deshaun Kaiser as well, has done no favors for this offense. And every time Hugh Jackson says, well, we need to make a play in the fourth quarter. Somebody needs to make a play in the fourth quarter. How about the coach do something in the fourth quarter to put this team over the top? They haven't finished any games. And I think a lot of that, if a team can't finish, that's coaching. That's a coach who is unable to execute a game plan late, can't figure out something in the fourth quarter to get one more drive. So um, I think it's very frustrating to watch Hugh Jackson run this offense, um, not help a rookie quarterback. And I absolutely think if there are lots of things to point to in this offense, but absolutely you should point to Hugh Jackson first. Uh, it's actually funny you brought, you brought that up because I thought the Green Bay game, I thought everything looked great. And I don't think there was an offensive game plan that covered four quarters. And I think that showed, you know, when you have Coleman, you have Duke, you have Najoku, you have Josh Gordon. How do you, you know, this is when all of a sudden, you know, I can understand him struggling through the you know first few weeks. They consistently, you know, it, you know bringing in different receivers. And th th these two are the starter this week. Next week, these two are the starter. But once you've got Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman back, I need you there with that Ben McAdoo play sheet that looks like the King James Bible. You should be, you know, overflowing with calls for these guys. And and it doesn't. And obviously, we all know that that this team needs more. They need more talent. Everybody knows that. Oh, there's no denying that. But he doesn't seem to use what they have. Haven't we all felt that? Maybe they should have found a way to, to use all season, to use Duke Johnson a little more than they have. Haven't we all felt times where we thought, well, why aren't they using David and Joku more? Haven't we all felt times where it feels like they get down one score in the second half and Hugh Jackson abandons the run game? You know, Isaiah Crowell pops that big run yesterday and then basically disappears. Constantly, you feel like we know they have receiver problems. We know they could use some more dynamic guys. But they don't even take advantage of what's here. I am certain that there are offensive coaches who would have found ways to get Duke Johnson in more mismatches and use him more often this year than he's been used. To use David Njoku more effectively and find the right red zone calls for him. 
to not abandon the run game at the first sign of trouble. So my bottom line, and this applies to the offense but the whole team, is Hugh Jackson all year has taken a rough situation, a bad situation, and made it worse. He's made a hard thing look impossible. So there are other people that could have taken what you do have, a decent offensive line, Duke Johnson, a, a couple tight ends that can do some things. Like you said, now you have Corey Coleman and Josh Gordon back. There are guys who would have found ways to coach that, those players to at least a win or two. Exactly. And the other thing was is there was no expectation of a playoff spot this year. So right. if anything, play all these kids. You know, This is the time to work out the quirks. And you don't want to see a dumb mistake when all of a sudden you may be contending. You get that all out of the way this year. Guys, you're listening to Locked On Browns, episode 134. Uh, guys, we got the Bears this week, so go ahead and check out Locked On Bears. My buddy Lauren Cox over there does a fantastic job. I'm going to sit down with him later this week. We'll do a dual episode breaking down uh, Browns, Bears. But by all means, uh, you know, put Locked On Browns and Lauren in, into your uh, rotation this week. It's great, great stuff. You don't want to miss it. Now we will get to the madness that is the front office here. Uh, I mean, the front office, the coaching. Look, whatever the problem was you know, owner to coach, owner to GM. You're not going to tell me for a second that Sashi Brown did not bring in talent. Look, could he have done better on those two draft classes? Sure. Anybody could have done better. And if you want to play, you know, the, you know, the revisionist history of going back, Oh, well, you could have taken this guy. You could have taken that guy. But I don't think he did a terrible job as far as food shopping and stocking the shelves. No, and I think that was a hard thing for a lot of fans to get past. The Carson Wentz thing, and to a lesser degree, to me it's a far lesser degree, the Deshaun Watson thing, I think colored um, a, a lot of, of what how people viewed Sashi Brown in the front office. It didn't help that Corey Coleman has been injury prone. It didn't help that Jabril Peppers has played out of position. Um, but I do think, I mean, the idea... Um, this whole real players thing and to act like they, they didn't get anybody who's any good. Um, it's, it's just weird to me that it's the people employed by the team. It's John Dorsey, Hugh Jackson, and Greg Williams who are making the point, we don't have any good players. And it's people on the outside. It's a lot of what I think are smart people um, in local media, um, guys like you, guys like Jake Burns, guys at uh, Pete Smith, guys at different sites um, who cover this team, I think, in a smart way, who are saying, no, they, they actually do have good players. Why is that the case? Why, why do we have to plead with the people employed by the team to admit that even though they're winless, they have a couple good players, that Emmanuel Ogba is a good player, that signing Kevin Zeitler was a good move, that the Jamie Collins trade was a good move, that Joe Schobert might be okay. That Jabril Peppers, when he gets in the right position, might be a player. You know, like, why, why do why the David Njoku has great upside? Why do we have to make that point? And the people we're fighting against are the people in charge of the team. It's absolutely insane to me. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, and, and Jake's been on, Pete's been on. And look, we all differ, you know, with, you know, some theories on some certain people. But we we don't differ on the whole, you know, you know, the jet game, prime example, uh, they had a real good shot in the London game versus Minnesota who just cl clinched the NFC North. 
it, it's 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 baffling that you know the fingers are being pointing. And here's the biggest issue I have, and I'm going to lead you into this question. The biggest issue I have is what you're saying is now you have the second youngest roster in the NFL, and you're saying basically to everybody. You have your head coach saying it, a GM who's been here for, I think it's 14 days, two weeks now, telling all these guys they ain't worth a grain of salt. I mean, what do you expect? How? I mean, if you want 0-16, this is probably the best way about going to get it. And I do think, you know, I I don't know. I mean, if, if Miles Garrett heard his G, new GM come in and say that, does that mean Miles Garrett's not going to play hard? I, I, no, he's going to still try to do his job the best he can. Um I just think it's so unfair to the fans. You know, I don't know if, if that's what if that's what those guys think the fans want to hear. Like, okay, well, we're 0-14. We better tell the fans, yeah, we have no good players. I, I don't think that's what fans want to hear. And I think there's a lot of smart fans out there who sort of understand where this franchise is and understand that, yes, you can have holes. You can have some really bad quarterback play this year. You can have long – you could have receiver problems that were an issue all year. Um, until you got Gordon back and until Coleman got healthy. You can see all that, but you can also see where there is hope. So I think, obviously, to me, the only reason they're doing it is to set themselves up to say, and mostly set up Hugh Jackson, to make the point, see, it's not Hugh's fault. We just don't have any good players. We have to get some players for Hugh. And that bothers me, too. You don't need to get good players for Hugh Jackson. You need to get good players for the Browns, for the Browns fans. I don't care about Hugh Jackson. I care about the Browns coach, but let's not make this about one guy. We got to get players that fit Hugh. You got to get players that are going to help the Browns win. So quit playing CYA, realize you have some things in place here, and quit acting like this is the worst roster in the history of the NFL. Because it's a winless team, but I do not think this is a winless roster. This is, you know, this might be a three and eleven team right now, which is which is not high praise. But I do not think this has to be an zero and fourteen team, and I think Hugh Jackson has coached it to be an zero and fourteen team. And that's even the thing now. Now, what came out yesterday? And now here's look. Hugh is facing one and thirty one in the face. A number one, I don't care if your name is Bill Parcells, your name is Bill Pelichek, or your name is Bill Walsh. If you give me two years of one and 31, bro, there's the road. You're gone. But now we have a second NFL team who may be interested in the services of a guy who could potentially finish one and 31 over a two-year period. So for me, Cincinnati, you want him. I mean, you ain't got to give me nothing. He's all yours. What do you think, Doug? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a fascinating thing. I mean, obviously, it's a very unique situation with how Mike Brown knows Hugh Jackson. If he just wants to make it easy and stay with somebody familiar, um, and, and and I think, you know, I think the Browns would do it. I think the Browns would let him go, and I think they would let John Dorsey start over with the guy that he picks. It feels like to me, and this is not sources or anything, just the feel. It feels like to me the main reason that Jimmy Haslam said that Hugh Jackson will be back in 2018 is that Jimmy Haslam is very aware of his reputation for firing everybody. And he's fired a lot of coaches. He's fired a lot of GMs. And so I think 
part of his motivation in firing Sashi Brown and at the same time saying Hugh Jackson will be back is to point and say and point at anyone and say, see, I didn't fire him. I don't always fire everybody. But if Hugh Jackson leaves, if it's not that Hugh Jackson got fired, I think that might make sense as an out for Jimmy Haslam, as an out for the Browns, as an out for Hugh Jackson. This didn't work. Go back to where you came from. They want you. We don't. And then Jimmy Haslam can say, well, there's one guy I didn't fire and everybody can move on because I do not think you can look at Hugh Jackson's performance. And I don't mean the record. I'm, I'm actually fine. I, I, there is a world where I would be fine with keeping Hugh Jackson at 1-31. and 31. But it is not a world where Hugh Jackson helped drive out the GM, where Hugh Jackson has not developed a young quarterback, where Hugh Jackson has not maximized anything, where they've lost close. It's not this scenario. If there's another scenario where Hugh Jackson just was saying, you know what, we're building, we're building, it's going to be fine, we're trying as hard as we can – he wasn't panicking all the time. He was keeping the team together. He wasn't fighting with his GM. I could see a world where one in thirty-one would be okay, but it's not this world. No, and that's what I agree. And and you have to think, you know, he, he gave Dorsey this five-week period, and he's going to ask him, you know, obviously come, you know, uh, New Year's Eve. Well, what are you looking? And you know, John Dorsey, you know, the guy's got a he's got a history. Uh, do we? If somebody else wants him, do we really want to keep the guy who just went one in thirty-one? Um, you tried to swing a backdoor deal for AJ McCarron and give away your dra- draft capital. I mean, AJ McCarron of all people, I, I can't even tell you. I was trick or treat with my kids, and my phone was blowing up because I was like, "Thank God somebody stopped this from happening." Yeah, because you know, one in fifteen, yeah, that would have made a huge difference, Doug. Right? I mean, that's the thing, and there's part of this that does sort of bother me. If people truly are longing for four and twelve because this was not a this was never going to be a playoff team this year. There's not a single person in the world who thought that. So you knew they weren't going to make the playoffs. But if you truly are saying, God, I just wish we were four and twelve instead of zero and sixteen, I would tell you that the Browns were four and twelve, five and eleven, and six and ten for a decade, basically until this two year rebuild. That's what they were almost every year since they came back. And it got them nowhere. So I actually don't really care about 0-16. I don't care. They were going to lose. So like you said, play young guys. Figure some things out. I'm okay with playing Kaiser because I said at the beginning of the year, you just need to, you can't let Deshaun Kaiser be a maybe at the end of this year. You need to know going into the 18 draft where you stand. And Deshaun Kaiser has proven that he's a no. He's not a yes. He's not a maybe. He's a no. Now, I'd keep him on the roster. I'd develop him. I'd keep him as a backup. But you cannot rely on him. You know you have to get a quarterback. That, to me, is better than playing Josh McCown for eight games, playing Kaiser a little bit here and there. Well, he showed a flash of this, a flash of that. So I'm okay with the record because 4-12 and doesn't get you anywhere except the draft pick is not quite as good. But what I am not okay with is the way Hugh Jackson has gone about it. No, which I couldn't agree with more. Uh, guys, anything you need, Locked On NBA, uh, we have you there. Uh, you know, obviously, you Cavaliers fans, uh, it's still a little early here. They'll start putting it together, you know, more and more as the spring goes on. But go ahead, check out Chris Manning and Locked On Cavs. I know you guys all have a lot of interest in that. 
Uh, Locked on Indians, I, I, I've heard, is in the works. It should be out sometime soon. So anything you need, we got you covered. Locked on, uh, Locked on NBA, NFL, MLB is launched. Dodgers and Yankees are up. So guys, go ahead and check that out. Before we let you go here, uh, Doug, what has been the biggest, for you, what has been the biggest bright this year? What is something that you've looked at and said, wow, you want to know what? Nobody's talking about it, and it's not getting enough mention, but this is something that's been pretty good here for this team. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have a, a, a diamond in the rough kind of thing. I, I do think um, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, we all know, depending what stats you look at, there are things that will say this is a top 10 defense, a top 15 defense, whatever. They've really been hit by injuries on defense, obviously. Uh, Key guys. Collins, Jamie Collins out for the year. Emmanuel Ogba out for the year. Danny Ogba was Schultz, the team MVP. Uh, you know, just a lot of guys, right? So I, I don't know that everybody has the sense of what this team can be defensively really when it's healthy. And that's the one thing here. There's no depth here. They have to build that. That's part of this. When you tear this down, you get a Miles Garrett. You get a Ogba. You get a Collins. But their backups aren't going to be as good. Only good teams have depth. They're going to take another year or two to build that depth. But I do think it's very possible that when they're healthy to start 2018, the, the best 11 defenders they put out there might be, I'm not going to say really good, but might be a very, very legitimate NFL defense. And I know there have been times this year when they've scored to go ahead or they need a big stop and they let a team march right down the field. You know, if you add one more corner, whether you get maybe you get a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick in the draft, or you make a big free agent signing, um, you know, you get Peppers in a better position on the field. You get Kirksey and Collins out there at linebacker together. You get this full defensive line that now might go maybe six or eight deep with some of the guys who have played well while other guys have been out. I, I really just think this defense might have more potential than we realize because it's easy to forget how injured they've been, and you just can't expect them to fill in those spots. But I think for 2018, that they, they might be pretty good. And it's actually funny. Uh, you brought up Jake Burns earlier. I was talking with him. Uh, uh, Brown's mock draft, uh, my buddy out there, Steven, out in, uh, Steven Thomas out in California. We were actually already going over the 18th schedule. Yeah, Obviously, you know they have the in-conference opponents. Uh, they're going to play the NFC South. They're going to play the AFC West. It, it, and there's some wins there. And just from what you see, you know, I, I do think it's a better product than 0-14. I absolutely 100% agree with you on there. This is one thing I'm just going to give to you. Uh, there's a potential for a, a solid free agent wide receiver class. And I kind of mm-hmm. emphasize signing a decent and throwing some solid cap number towards one of these guys. Look, Josh Gordon is a top five wide receiver in this game. But, I mean, he comes with the ultimate risk. Corey Coleman, I love his game, but again, comes with a ton of risk. And the last thing I would want to do is draft a wide receiver high and say, look, you're going to be part of this passing game. And then all of a sudden, you know, Corey's hurt. God forbid Josh falls off the beaten path. And now I'm taking a guy at 21, 22 years old and saying, you know, you were going to be part of my offense, but now you are my offense. So yeah. you know, whether it's an Allen Robinson or a Sammy Watkins or even a Devontae Adams, maybe now with his you know his concussions, maybe Green Bay's a little hesitant. This is that's got to be something you hit hard in free agency, you know. And, and and he has to be better than Kenny Britt, you know. I mean, like they tried that and it failed as 
in a, as huge of a way as it could fail. Um, and they, Absolutely. you know, and we know they went down that road with Dwayne Bow before too. But but that is a big that can be a big difference maker here. And I do think it, it seems like just you know first glance at the draft, if they don't trade down from the second number one pick, that's going to be in the top eight probably. Five. There might be a receiver worthwhile taken there. So maybe you're taking a receiver with one of those second round picks. But even like I would take a receiver with a second round pick. I would add a veteran receiver and keep Gordon and have Coleman and got, I mean what if you had four actual receivers? You know? So I mean I do think there's a chance. Um it went and that's the thing too that's that's hard to a, a lot of people just say, well it's the Browns, it's the Browns and people are conditioned to expect the worst. But for Josh Gordon to have gone like he has, Corey Coleman to be as injured as he's been, um, I know people like mock the receiver core, but for then and for Kenny Britt to be an absolute bomb to that degree, I mean that's awful. That's three three awful things that happened to three different receivers that are very important. So I absolutely think that if Coleman stays healthy, if Gordon's okay, and you add a guy in the draft and in free agency. You can help this new quarterback that's going to be here be look much better than Deshaun Kaiser looked because he was on his own for stretches here. This was not the worst roster in the NFL. This was the worst group of receivers in the NFL and maybe in NFL history for much of the year. It has to get better, and I think it can get a lot better with what you're saying. One or two moves, one in the draft and a big one in free agency, you transform this receiver group overnight. I couldn't agree more. And look, it, you know, it, as it goes on, it's a passing league. I mean, yeah. everybody goes the running back by committee, which works. I mean, it's it, it, it's shown to be proven. And the best part about it is is that you see with when you play two to three running backs, very rare do you see any running back make all sixteen games. So when you have guys that are used to being part of it and used to being into it, and like we said with the wide receiver core, then you mentioned the Devalve, then you mentioned the David Ajoku. A Duke Johnson who, you know, for the most part, I don't think he's ever going to get to see the 15 rushes per game that anybody would like to see. And maybe that's okay because you can always, you know, draft the, you know, the, you know, the guy who's just going to go in and pound a little bit more. And that's okay. But, Doug, I want to thank you so much for joining me here again. Uh, I, I love the fact that the fans, you know, I, I go out once a week, guys. Who do you want to hear? And, you know, this you were a name that popped up, so I'm so thankful for you coming on here tonight. Uh, Locked on Browns, episode 134. Doug LeMaurice joined us here from Cleveland.com. Uh, make sure you follow him and all his fantastic work. Look, trust me, guys, if you're following me, I'm sure you're following Doug. But anybody who isn't, get on that now. Doug, to you and your family, happy holidays, buddy. Same to you, my friend. Thanks for having me. Had a good time, and I uh, hope we can do it again sometime. Uh, we'll always make room. Uh, I got a lot of off-season stuff to fill, and I got to be honest with you. I mean, my mind, you know, I'm storyboarding off-season all day, every day, Doug. Very cool. Should be fun. All right. Take care of yourself. Thanks.